Hello and welcome to the Harmony Inspired Health Podcast, where we will be discussing all things health, wellness, Ayurveda, and topics that will enhance your personal development. My name is Harmony and I am your podcast host. I am a clinical Ayurveda and integrative health practitioner and registered nurse who specializes in women's hormonal and gut health. I am also a yoga teacher, Pilates instructor, business owner, and a mama of twin boys. My mission is to bridge the gap between modern medicine and emerging science with natural therapies and the ancient wisdom of Ayurveda and Eastern medicine. I will be speaking with leaders in the industry and starting those conversations that will bring each modality together so we can truly offer a holistic health and wellness platform that educates and inspires you to live a more simple, healthy, and balanced life. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that each episode downloads to your podcast library. Then listen up and be inspired to create perfect health, healing, and harmony within your mind and body and live your most inspired life. You, my listener, are much appreciated. From my soul to yours, namaste. I would love to stay connected with you beyond me speaking into your ear holes every time you tune into this podcast. Join our tribe and subscribe to the Ayurveda Soul Sisters Tribe Facebook group so we can carry these conversations on in there. You can say hello on Facebook at Harmony Inspired Health or Instagram at Harmony Inspired Ayurveda or hang out on my website and see all the latest events, blogs or book in for an Ayurveda and integrative health consultation or body therapy. And don't forget to grab your free ebook whilst you're there. My website is www.harmonyinspiredhealth.com.au. about Ayurveda or have you been called to learn more about Ayurveda? If so, I would love to offer you these teachings in my intro to Ayurveda lifestyle medicine for the mind, body, soul online course. Ayurveda translates to the science of life and longevity. Its teachings hold ancient wisdom and secrets of how to live a long, healthy and vibrant life. Ayurveda has been around for 5,000 plus years. It's been tried and tested for centuries, yet has only become more popularized in the modern Western world in recent times as the true healing benefits of Ayurveda are being discovered by many in the West. Its relevance and power is needed now more than ever. Applying Ayurvedic principles and practices to your mind, body, soul can help you heal your gut and gut-related symptoms such as bloating, gas, indigestion, constipation or loose stools. It can help assist with hormonal balance and total body balance. 
It helps mitigate stress and anxiety, clear skin, helps to achieve a healthy body weight and maintain it, helps you feel deeply connected to your mind, body, soul, increase and sustain energy, increase peace of mind and support and boost your metabolism. This course will give you an introduction into the art of Ayurvedic lifestyle medicine so that you can apply Ayurveda to your life and become your own healer and health guru. You will discover and understand yourself on a deeper level. In this course, you will learn the history of Ayurveda, Ayurvedic Dhinacharya, Ayurvedic nutrition, Ayurvedic psychology. You will also discover your own unique constitution, your dosha. You will be given practical tips on how to apply the art of Ayurveda to your modern day lifestyle and how to simplify health to get the most out of your life. So if you would like to sign up to this seven module course, please head over to my website, www.harmonyinspiredhealth.com.au. Namaste. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast, or if you are joining us from our Facebook Live in the Ayurvedic Soul Sister Tribe Facebook group, welcome. Today, we have the wonderful Lisa Young, who is a naturopath and nutritionist based um, on the beachside town of Kingscliff in northern New South Wales. That's such a beautiful spot. Mm -hmm. I grew up down there. We were just chatting earlier on. Well, not in Kingscliff, but I grew up down in northern New South Wales. And Lisa educates women on how to improve their hormonal and reproductive health and understand how natural fertility can optimize your chances for a healthy and happy baby. So today we will be talking about how to boost your fertility naturally and also natural contraceptive methods. So right on the other end of the spectrum of fertility, I suppose. Um, but before we get started, I'd love to welcome Lisa to the podcast. So welcome. Thank, thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for taking your the time out of your day to be with us. So really appreciate it. And so before we get into the nice juicy bits of the discussion, I always uh, start these episodes with my rapid inspiration questions, just so we can get a little feel for who Lisa is. So if right. you don't mind, let's start with inspiring us with what your superpower is. Oh, my superpower. I'm one of those people who's like, I don't really have a superpower. <laughs> but if I had to think about it, I think um, it's, it's about helping women see the connections and the patterns in their, particularly in their health history, because that's kind of what I'm working with people with. But I often find after I've seen someone for an initial consult, they are like, I had no idea that all of these things were connected and that all of these different things, like from when I was a kid or when I was a teenager and all these little bitty symptoms that I didn't think were important, how they all fit together. And it's like the penny drops and they're like, ah, oh, now it all makes sense. Yeah. And it's like bringing that, bringing all those little tiny pieces together so that they can feel more I think it brings people back in touch with their bodies, right? So Definitely. it's like, yeah. So I I love seeing that moment when they just go, 
oh now it all makes sense and yeah. I don't feel like my body's betraying me anymore I understand what's going on so yeah absolutely yeah so your superpower is connecting the dots yeah yeah, yeah totally beautiful yeah. Oh, I love it <laughs> um and your favorite quote or mantra oh uh, look I mean there's so many and I do have a few sort of scattered around my room at any one time but look when I was younger when I was in my 20s I suffered from really debilitating anxiety and a mantra that I used to use back then which is not particularly profound but which worked really well for me was just that really simple feel the fear and do it anyway yeah because I was like I would be paralyzed with anxiety about the simplest Mm. things And when I, like, I just, I must have read it somewhere. I don't remember the source, sorry. But um, it really resonated with me in that moment because that was a real, it was like, okay, this is a way that I can just step past that that Mm. fear in the moment and just do this. Like sometimes it could be just a phone call or something really simple, but it would take me past that overthinking and procrastinating about it and just let me step into doing the things I needed to do. And it, I mean, it seems really silly, but it really changed my life because it, yeah. it, it taught me that it was, it was okay to feel afraid about things, but still do them and nothing bad was going to happen. And so then those, those steps got bigger and bigger and yeah. I got to function a bit more, bit more effectively. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. the fear is usually us forecasting the future. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I really love the one. um, Now I'm going to butcher this. I'm not going to say it correctly, (laughs) but I'll say it in my words. Yeah. Um, Like to be able to be in that, in the present moment and only act in the present moment because the past is already gone and the future is not here. So when you're present, you're free from both of them. So you're in total freedom of the past and the future and totally fear associated with either. And so I think when you really recognize and realize right here now in this present moment, like I am free of both the past and the future then yeah it's sort of like as you were saying you just get to take a step and just be in that moment and yeah a bit of the fear and totally feel the fear and do it anyway yeah yeah Yeah. I know it sounds a bit trite to me now but at the time it was quite profound like it was quite quite useful for me yeah oh that's great um and what or who is inspiring you at the moment oh well I think right at the moment, because I, up until last year, lived in Melbourne, I still have a lot of friends and connections down there and just seeing them, what they've been through for the last six months and having, you know, just now coming back out into the world again, I find it like it fills me with gratitude and I think Mm -hmm. I find that really inspiring that these these people that I've known really well have been through this quite difficult time and I Mm. can't, I mean, I don't think any of us can really connect with just what it's been like. And then just to see their courage and their resilience coming coming out of that. And I think with what's happened in America right now as well, there's yeah. that sense of, of relief of, of, you know, that anxiety lifting as well. Yeah. And just that sense of possibility that comes at the at the end of these, yeah. you know, these big sort of world-changing yes. events that have been happening. And so that inspires me because it's like, you know, yeah. all these people doing these really hard things and coming out the other end, okay, mm my life's not that bad. I can can do these things that I need to do. Totally into perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, totally. totally. And I think these big life-changing events also show us how resilient we can be. Often we doubt ourselves and we always think, oh, I could never do that or I'd hate that if it happened to me and then it does happen to you and you realise like you are born with this inner resilience. Yeah, 
Yeah. So and we do, we just do it one day at a time, don't we? We just get through it. Absolutely. One, yeah. one day at a time. That's absolutely right. That's all we can yeah. do. And so what does an inspired life look or feel like to you? It's mm, a yummy word, isn't it? Inspired. Yeah. Like <laughs> inspired life feels good. So for me, what that feels like is, um, is space, like spaciousness and freedom and flow for my creativity to happen. But what it also means for me is that, that that doesn't come easily or naturally to me. So I need to I need to be intentional and conscious about how I create my days mm. so that I have that space to, to yeah. feel that way. So it's a daily, it's a daily thing for me to maintain, yeah. to maintain the space in my life to feel like that. And very easy for me to drop it and lose it and get stuck in the, mm. you know, the that daily grind kind of yeah, <laughs> kind totally. of feel and you so, know I yeah. love your honesty about that yeah. it's, so, it's so true and we all do it and I think being in like the the health sort of space and the wellness sort of space you know we educate our clients on, yes. on that to create yes. space for yourselves and it, like I know myself I get caught in the rut too and I have been a lot better this year actually by prioritizing things and cutting things out to try to give myself nice. space in the day yep. but it really it did take a long time it took burnout it took like yep. all of these things like hitting rock bottom like yep. just learning how to say no always like saying yes to things that I wasn't 100 yes. on it, it and and those sort of lessons do continuously show up for me and yeah. I think um, saying no, especially as a woman, sometimes it's in a, like a, a carer, someone in this sort of yep. field, it's really hard to say no. And yeah. But the more that you do it, and if it's coming from the right place to nurture yourself or yeah. to be able to be more present with your clients, it starts to become easier and you become more proud of yourself for being able to do it. So I think those lessons are always going to show up for me because it's one of my big life lessons, but yeah. I've just it's become easier and there's no not as much guilt attached to it exactly yes yeah. it's the guilt that yeah. really derails us sometimes and I think when you're clear on your own values and your own priorities then that guilt starts to fall away because it's like this, this is the reason that I need to con conserve my energy for these things that are really important to me absolutely and when you can find that then yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of leads on to what we're talking about today, because people who are trying to conceive and trying to get pregnant and want to boost their fertility. I mean, stress is one of the big factors that holds us back yeah, from being totally. like having that beautiful, fertile, balanced hormones to help conceive yes. and um, carry pregnancy through. So I think that, yeah, being true to yourself and putting yourself forward, especially when you're trying to conceive is a really important thing to do. So before we get deeper into that conversation, how about we just kick off the episode by you sharing a bit about your journey and how you came to do the work that you do today? Yeah. Okay. So I'll try and do the short version. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but basically, my I, I, I haven't been in this field forever. I used to work in corporate human resources, busy, you know, very, very corporate kind of <laughs> kind of life. But I've always been interested in and conscious of health and well-being. I grew up with a mum who was kind of, you know, on the crunchy end of the scale and kind of grew up with that inquisitiveness around 
you know, I always wanted to know why. Like I remember everybody talking about margarine versus butter when I was growing up and I was like, why? Why is one of them better than the other? What's the science behind it? Like that was me. That was my brain. So, um, so I eventually went on to study nutrition and then naturopathy because I had that real passion for understanding, like I wanted the answers. I wanted to know why, but at the same time I was, my husband and I were trying to get pregnant and, you know, like many, many other couples in Australia, it wasn't happening the way that we thought that it would. We, you know, we get told, falling pregnant is so easy you have to be so careful you have to you know as soon as you come off contraceptives you're just going to fall pregnant and of course that didn't happen so I was looked after by an amazing team of natural therapists in Melbourne and eventually went on to get pregnant and have my very healthy robust lovely daughter who's now nine years old um but that was what really gave me that because right through right through that process I was doing my own research the whole time because I wanted to understand why, why is this, why is it happening to me? And why are the therapies that these people are recommending being helpful for me? And what's the evidence behind it? And discovered that all of this amazing world of natural fertility that's out there and been researched. So yes, just super passionate about helping other women to not fall into that, that kind of hole of really not knowing what's going on for them and not not understanding what their bodies are doing and trying to bring back that understanding that appreciation of the innate understanding we can have of our own bodies if we let ourselves get Mm. to that point of understanding so yeah so that's why the specialization in preconception and fertility and hormones in general and also like when we talk about fertility we're always kind of talking about babies but it's about the mother as well like it's about creating women who become strong resilient mothers through the work that they do prior prior to having babies as well not just not just that wanted outcome of the healthy baby but healthy mums as well absolutely and that helps so much um postpartum and as we'll discuss before we jumped on the call like I actually see we kind of I do see some um women for fertility but most or a lot of my clients are actually post babies or a few years post babies really and there's been that hormonal change and they're just wanting to know what's going on with their body and trying to balance out the hormones um so it's what you're saying there's so much truth in it if you have been able to establish this really beautiful balance prior to having a baby it's going to that that transition's going to be a lot more smoother coming out the other end as well and you already have that that knowledge base behind you so yeah, absolutely. I think it's so important that we obviously want beautiful, healthy babies, but we also need to put ourselves um, up there as in we want to continue this beautiful, flourishing yeah. health in our bodies, not just pre, not just for the baby, but post and going on all the way through menopause. Yeah, exactly. And you do see it, you know, you see it when you treat those older women and you go back and see, oh, there's so much that we could have yeah. worked with back then if we had the chance oh, yeah absolutely. it really makes a difference it yeah. does and it, it sometimes it's hard to link it like you were saying connecting the dots yeah but when you like we take like you know thorough health histories and so when you really look through it people don't understand the links but from an outsider's perspective you can you can really see those links and someone who has sort of nurtured their health as opposed to and it's not always um through lack of knowledge or through lack of caring, but things happen in our lives as well that um, can sway that hormonal balance. So yeah, for sure. 
But um, I think before we get into fertility and contraception, um, if we could actually just do a little refresher for everyone and go over the female cycle and what hormones help regulate the cycle, cause ovulation and menses, and also like um, holding the embryo in place. That the whole yeah. cycle, the female cycle. Yeah, right. Just <laughs> everything. Yeah. In the beginning, before, <laughs> before birth. Yes. <laughs> before, yes. Or before implantation, I should before say. Before implantation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's actually a super complex process. And it's, you know, when you study it, you are just amazed that anybody ever gets pregnant ever. But <laughs> so many things have to fall into place. But yes. yeah, in a, in a natural menstrual cycle where there's no, you know, hormonal contraceptives involved. Basically, like I always think of it as ovulation being the main event. We, we sort of learn that our periods are the main thing to think about when we think about our cycles. And that's the thing that we focus on and worry about and, mm. you know, the symptoms associated with that. But I think when you learn to think about ovulation as the main event, you have a better understanding of everything else that happens. Um, so basically in the first half of your cycle. So you bleed at the start of your cycle and then that first half of your cycle is moving towards ovulation. So estrogen is the hormone that is dominant during that phase. And as I said, as I said this is super complex. There's lots of things involved, but I'll try and keep it short so that <laughs> we don't talk for an hour about this one thing. Um, so yeah, so your ovaries will produce estrogen during the first part of the cycle which causes your uterine lining to develop. So after you've shed your last month's lining, it starts to develop again um, in preparation for pregnancy, obviously. That's what the body's trying to achieve. And it will also do a few other things. I guess the main other thing that it does is it produces that fertile cervical mucus that our bodies produce that is basically makes a little... Um, it's, it's a carrier for the sperm, if you like. So it helps sperm to get where it needs to go and stay alive and when we get to ovulation estrogen peaks just before ovulation and then some hormones from the pituitary gland will actually trigger the follicle to release its little eggy so you've had a few follicles starting to grow but one of them will become the do dominant follicle and then that one will pop out an egg ovulation is actually quite a it's a bit of a violent process that little follicle has to has to actually break the outside of the ovary and yeah. spit the little egg out. So, and some women will get pain associated with that ovulation process. Um, but yeah, so that's the main event. That's the egg popped yeah. out, ready to go. The, the fallopian tubes will grab it and pull it in to the tube to start its journey down towards the uterus. And then as soon as that happens, that follicle that ruptured will start producing progesterone. So it's amazing. It becomes its own little hormone yeah. producing gland just for the next couple of weeks, unless there's a pregnancy. So that produces progesterone, which is the, um, the hormone that sustains a pregnancy if, if you do have a successful implantation. But it's also an awesome hormone, as I'm sure you know. It helps keep us calm and chilled, and it's, it's a really lovely, lovely hormone. Um, so it's one of the things I always work on with my women is making sure that they're making enough progesterone because it just makes you feel so much better. It helps your sleep. It helps your Absolutely. cognitive processes. It helps everything. Like it's just, it's, it's great. Um, not that estrogen isn't, but we tend to see progesterone being deficient more often than we would see estrogen. Absolutely. Especially yeah. these days, a lot of estrogen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so, yeah, so that, that progesterone then 
prepares the endometrium for implantation. So there's lots of cool little chemical things that happen to make your uterine lining receptive to an embryo. And that's, that's one of the main jobs of progesterone. And then obviously, if you do have a successful implantation, it, it sustains that pregnancy until the placenta grows. So it's pretty amazing that this one little, little broken follicle can do so amazing so what much. the female body can do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. So amazing. We, we need to have more appreciation for it. Yes. And I think with, with education and understanding what actually goes on every single month, yes, it's like exactly. such a key to that appreciation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And you start to think, wow, my body is actually really amazing, yeah. um, which is helpful because I think especially for women struggling with infertility, they start to feel like their bodies are letting them down or that they're, you know, they're kind of in a battle against yeah. their bodies. But when you start to appreciate the amazingness of what's going on and the body's always trying to get back into balance, it's mm. always trying to get you back to a place of yeah. health. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, the, the progesterone will drop off then. If there's no implantation, the progesterone will drop off and that's what triggers the next bleed to happen. So it's a very, very simple kind of view of it, but estrogen in the first half of the cycle and then progesterone in the second half of the cycle. And we'll often talk about it sort of as a seasonal thing as well. You'll hear that, you know, your period is your winter. So it's when you want to try and look after your energy, warming foods, you know, staying quiet, introspective kind of work. And then springtime is when estrogen starts to build and your energy is, is strong and you tend to be, yeah, high energy and, and bright and creative and yeah. social and all of that yeah. peaks at ovulation. Get stuff done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get stuff done. done, have yeah. big ideas, yeah. Um, go to your networking things, do your, yes. your talks <laughs> in front of big audiences, all that stuff is great around ovulation. And then autumn in the second half of the cycle, that sort of energy starts to dip but you're still feeling good because you've got that lovely kind of cosy progesterone feeling happening. More floaty, a bit more calm. Yeah. Go, with, go with the flow. <laughs> go with the flow, exactly. Yeah. And a good time to kind of just finish stuff off. Yeah. When that, you know, all those great big ideas you've had in the first half of the cycle, you can get done. And then back into your winter of menses just yeah yeah just I thought you'd um, a bit. explain that beautifully really oh, yeah I thought it was really beautifully explained and the other thing I just like to mention um to the ladies out there with fertility like it can be super frustrating um when we're trying to work out when we're ovulating obviously we need to yeah. um have sex around the time of ovulation yeah. to create a baby or avoid it if you're trying to not create a baby yeah yeah <laughs> but um the fact that the first half of our cycle can, the, the length of the first half of the cycle is the one that can differ. So depending on different envir environmental exposures or stress or events in our lives, the first part of your cycle, the time like can differ a little bit. So like you might think, oh, everyone gets told, you know, I, I ovulate on day 14 of the cycle, but it's not necessarily true for you. And things can, that, the first half of the length of the cycle can change. So you might ovulate on day 12 or whatever. It's the second half of the cycle that's always the same. And so yeah. we don't, it, it gets really tricky because you can't sort of 
always predict exactly when you're going to ovulate at the start exactly. of your cycle yeah but once you know once you've got the feeling and you know you've ovulated it's still a really good time to jump in the sack if you're trying to make a baby if you can if you get those feelings of ovulation and that's also yeah. another really important point is being able to like um we were saying earlier on tap into your own body's wisdom and sort of understand what's going on know the feelings know the the mucus that you're producing and what that means for fertility because once you can nail that and sort of understand understand when you're ovulating that the chances of fertility are going to be so much higher but it's the second half of the cycle that remains the same so you kind of know from when you ovulate to when you shed is yeah. generally always the same but yeah, yeah it's a little bit tricky when the first half can change a little that's bit. right yeah and that's because that ovulation event is so um what's the word like it it you can be it. affected so much by whatever's going on in your life or yep. your diet or your stress levels or like lots of things can impact yeah. ovulation which can stretch out yeah yeah so much yeah. yeah so what in your clinic like what do you see or do you feel are the main causes of infertility in women yeah right so I guess the like what we were just talking about I think either irregular or absent ovulation is probably the, mm. the thing that I see the most of and obviously if there's no ovulation or if it's very erratic and you can't tell when it's happening makes it really difficult to get pregnant because you mm. just don't know yes and, you know you don't know when it's happening you don't know when you're fertile so there's a number of things that can stop ovulation from happening and I mean we've just talked about the fact that you know stress can be a big factor and can literally delay ovulation for a long time and I've seen that a lot just over the last six months with COVID and the stress around that there's a lot of women whose cycles have just gone a little bit haywire. Mm. And it's, it's purely because when the body feels stress, so fertility is not, it's not going to save our lives, right? It's, it's, it's a low priority bio, biologically. If we're under stress or under threat, our bodies will deprioritize fertility. Mm. So ovulation is an energy intensive event. It needs lots of, of biological energy for it to happen. And so if we're stressed, it just, it's the body's just like, no, that's not a priority at the moment. Mm. So stress is something that can delay ovulation, which then makes it really hard to predict when you're going to ovulate. But I guess polycystic ovarian syndrome is probably one of the most prevalent things that I see that interferes with ovulation. So it's, it's mainly to do with insulin resistance usually. So like I was saying, it's really, it takes a lot of energy for your eggs to mature and ovulate. Mm -hmm. Your ovaries have lots and lots of insulin receptors on them so that glucose can get in there to, to fuel the cells. And if you become insulin resistant, the glucose can't get in. There's not enough energy. So women who've been diagnosed with PCOS will find that they may be not ovulating at all or they may be ovulating erratically. So they might have four or five ovulations a year rather than one every month, um, which obviously makes it really hard to conceive because you just have no idea. So those little pee on a stick ovulation kits yeah. don't work very well if you've got PCOS because your body is trying to stimulate ovulation. So the hormonal triggers for ovulation are there, which is what the stick picks up, but ovulation might not actually happen. Yeah. So you might get three or four positive signs of ovulation before you get a period, but you may not have actually ovulated on those times. So it's very difficult. Um, so what we would do there is we work on 
actually getting ovulation happening again more regularly. So we work with that insulin resistance and the hormone balance, like you were talking about getting the estrogen in the first half and the progesterone in the second half getting it nicely balanced which is when um, nutrition is so important yeah yeah and that's yeah that's one of the things that you find when you when you really look into the research around fertility and things like pcos is that diet and lifestyle are the gold that's standard it. treatments that yeah. you know and so it kind of it breaks my heart a bit when i have these women who go and see their doctors and get diagnosed and and sometimes incorrectly diagnosed and and then get put on medication and it's like that's not that's it not what the evidence change. says yeah, yeah. the evidence shows that those yeah that those diet and lifestyle things have a much greater success rate so mm. that's where i think we have that great role to play yeah. of just coaching women to understand the impact that just changing some fairly simple things usually yeah in their diets and the, their, you know, sleep and exercise and sunshine and all those sort of fundamentals of, of mm. health can be really effective. Um, but yeah, so as I was saying, ovulation is a big one. And the other thing that can, that I see a lot in women at the moment is that hypothalamic amenorrhea. So women who are not ovulating because their bodies are under stress from, uh, it's usually a combination of not enough calories and too much exercise, mm -hmm. or it can be just one or the other. And it can even be just not enough carbohydrates. The calories might be good, but not enough carbs. Women are actually quite sensitive to carbohydrate intake. And there's a threshold for most women below which mm -hmm. ovulation will shut down if they, if they drop too, too mm -hmm. far below that. So the body stops ovulating because it feels that there is a threat in terms of the amount of calories that it's that it's getting so it's that famine it's a survival mechanism Absolutely. so it's that yeah it's a, i need to conserve energy now is not a, not a good time to have a baby um so yeah that's another common one that i see and it uh, it can be tricky to treat it just depends on how long it's been happening and Absolutely. you know and you've got to individual break. Yeah. Break the cycle and remodel the thought patterns for those females. Exactly. And I know even myself personally, like I've um I played around with like intermittent fasting. And yep. that for me just screwed with my hormones. Yeah. So Isn't it interesting? There's, there's so much studies. I mean, because there is studies to prove that it does help with insulin resistance. Correct. But yeah the the fasting has to be done correctly and for each unique body and so in ayurveda yes. we talk about like the different body types like the avata pitta and kapha yes and it is so important for us to understand our own mind body constitution because not all types of intermittent fasting are going to be beneficial for your body and for myself, I'm like a Vata Pitta type person yeah. and that intermittent fasting where you miss sort of your, your, your breakfast meal and you don't eat till almost midday. It, I was cranky. My blood sugars went haywire. Yeah. It messed with my hormones. And then I was like, Oh, it's all right. I'm, I'm just trying to get used to this. But it, but when I realized, hang a minute, this is not right for me. Like uh, it took a while to get my hormones back into balance just for like a sort of a short sort of stint yeah. of doing it. And I think if, if with intermittent fasting, often it is better to do it over the night. So like maybe the evening meal, have a look at that, um, reducing that or taking that away, but it's not always correct either. So if you're a Vata type person, you might need three to uh, three meals in general or three to four meals a day to sustain hormonal balance. 
pitas, three meals. Maybe if you're more kapha type, then fine. Do the, the intermittent fasting might work really well for you, but it's not a general rule for everybody that yeah. intermittent fasting is going to do all these claims that um, we see in the blogs out yes. there yes. that it's going exactly. to do. And you need to yeah. be really, really careful with it. And you need to speak to um maybe a practitioner or someone that can help you understand your body and the nutrition it needs to support exactly. that hormonal balance. Yeah. That's so great that you brought that up and also that you were able to observe that in your own body and say, I observed it. <laughs> this is, this is actually not working for me, you know, and that's, that's, that's super important to be able to do that, to be able to do, try something and go, yeah, no, this is not working. And it's, it's exactly what I see, like for the majority of women who come to me having done the not start eating till 12 o'clock yeah. version of intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I think I've maybe had one client that it seems to work really well for. Mm -hmm. For the majority of women, if, if they are stressed and already have blood sugar issues, yeah. it's counterproductive. And so then I, I find just getting them to stop eating after dinner yeah. and make at least have sort of 14 hour fast overnight works much better. It's a, so, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. It, that's kind of like an Ayurvedic gold standard is you have a really light soupy dinner anyway, like a light yep. dinner before seven, uh, even before 6 p.m. Yep. And yep. then fast until the morning, but always start, you know, you, you have your breakfast, you still can have your three yes. meals, but having yep. that longer fast overnight, that really does sort of help to regulate the sugars and yeah. it helps with the body's digestive process and everything. But, and, and because we do have different, hormones those stress hormones at play as well you know cortisol in the morning we have the melatonin at night yeah. so having those in balance and the too much fasting can also interrupt the the, the communication exactly. between those yeah. two and the production between those two yeah um and then we get all things like adrenal burnout all of these you know yeah. thyroids misfunctioning but that's a whole nother podcast so let's yeah i know that's <laughs> so much and anyway, it's all so tied together but it, yes yeah it is so it yeah. is definitely is yeah. but like we said we could probably be talking for yes many hours <laughs> about it <laughs> and yeah it is interesting because I do I also have a friend that I know she does the intermittent fasting and it, it seems to really work well for her but again she's a different body type yeah to me. she's a different yeah so I think yeah Definitely. Anyway. And I think it's probably always important to remember that we change over time as well. So what yes. worked for you 10 years ago might not be right for you now. Absolutely. Especially and after yeah. kids, especially yeah. after having going through that yep. um, body event, <laughs> yeah. call it, <laughs> different body event. Um, yep. Yeah, definitely different. Um, so yeah, we've spoken about the main causes of infertility and now let's talk about how we can actually boost fertility yeah for those who are wanting to do that yeah so I guess and I'm there's probably quite a few hints in what we've talked about already but generally speaking fertility is just a sign of health so it doesn't need to be much more complicated than mm. if we focus on good health then we are by proxy helping our fertility helping our reproductive health so I mean, one thing we didn't talk about in infertility is age, which is obviously something that we can't do anything about from a, you know, time passes kind of point of view. But there are still things that you can do to support your health so that your, your ageing is, is healthier. But look, um, to boost your fertility, really, um, I'm going to go back to the stress thing. 
if you have ways of managing your stress and if you have techniques like you were saying about saying being able to say no to things and not taking on the whole world mm. and if you have good quality sleep and I mean good quality and good quantity sleep so you go to bed at a reasonable hour I don't know what Ayurveda says but I know in Chinese medicine it's like the hours between 10 and 12 are really deep restorative sleep so if you're missing those then you're missing you're missing some real restoration yeah and getting you know I know for me about eight to eight and a half hours is where my sweet spot is Mm -hmm. making sure that you're getting that sleep that you need and that your diet is good and it's not rocket science we know what a good diet is we know the things that we need to be minimizing and the things we need to be focusing on and at the same time acknowledging your own body and knowing that you function best with a certain kind of diet and for sure go and try all the different kinds of diets there are but but rest with the one that actually makes you feel good so like you were saying with the intermittent fasting, there's lots of different diets out there that agree with some people and not with others. So I'll yeah. have some clients who do really well on a vegetarian diet and others who whose health de- declines rapidly if they take animal products out of their diet. So yeah. just being able to acknowledge that a healthy diet for you might, might not look the same as Absolutely. that of your best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the specific things for fertility are being aware of your cycle and becoming familiar with your cycle so that you know if something is not right Mm -hmm. and if you so that you notice you'll notice if you're not ovulating or you'll notice if your period becomes heavier or lighter or you know if there's if there's excessive cramping or you get lots of PMS symptoms all of those things are not normal well they're quite normal actually but not not they shouldn't be happening and we need to look into that and get those hormones sorted out and the other thing i find with fertility is our exposure to toxins in the environment is a big factor as well so this can be this can be an overwhelming topic but um xenoestrogens from plastics and pesticides um you know, flame retardants in our furniture, All there's a lot of it out there, but doing a bit of research to minimise your exposure to things like that. So buying organic food when you can, Mm. not drinking out of a plastic bottle or storing your food in plastic containers, especially when it's hot, Um, watching out for um, BPA in receipts. So if you work in a role where you're dealing with those heat printed receipts all the time it actually absorbs through your skin and there's a detectable increase in your internal bpa levels which is a bit scary for people who work in in businesses where they're handing out receipts all day but just even just washing your hands fairly regularly can be helpful Um, but i guess the good thing about the bpas is that if you can avoid them they do clear from your system quite quickly but the biggest impact they have is they act as a xenoestrogen in your body and they disrupt the normal action of our internal estrogen. And that's what can cause those kind of estrogen dominant conditions yeah. that can Im- impair ovulation, impair egg quality, and definitely impact on the ability to hold a pregnancy. Absolutely. And I have done a podcast episode on how to live toxic free. So talking oh, beautiful. about the xenoestrogens and how to avoid like through the skincare and, and all of these things yes. that we put on our body because our skin's our biggest organ absorbing all of these yep. Yep. Um, chemicals and toxins. Yep. And as you mentioned, 
that disrupts the estrogen, our natural estrogen production. Yeah. Oh, that's so, good. Everybody yeah, go back yeah. and listen to that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was with, um, I don't know what episode so number it is, but that yeah. was with um, Kate. Yeah, How to Live Toxic Free. Perfect. Well. Yeah, and fragrances are a big one. And that's yeah. why I get really cranky with like places like Smiggle that have all that smelly stuff for kids like my daughter's at that age where she likes all these cool things and those fragrances are endocrine disruptors inhaling inhaling them literally yeah so and look as I said it's a huge topic and it can get really overwhelming when you worry about your exposure to everything but I just tell my clients to just start small with you know maybe they change up their moisturizer and their shampoo or their washing powder or get a new drink bottle or you know just what little baby steps and don't eat ev- your food in plastic <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah yeah so those simple things that people can do that just start to reduce your exposure yeah um but yeah look I mean most of the work that I do around fertility obviously we'll be working with specific if people have got specific um diagnoses we'll be working to correct those but generally speaking it's about those fundamentals of health so making sure people are eating well they're hydrated they're moving a bit they're getting some sunshine during the day if they live somewhere where there's sun (laughs) Um, and that they're yeah managing stress and getting good sleep all of those things are really foundational and we'll still you know we'll still look at blood tests and make sure that iron and vitamin d and all those sorts of things Mm. are where they need to be there's yeah. lots of, you know, there's lots of deficiencies that can impair fertility. Yeah. But from a general perspective, if you can live your life with those basic principles of, of good health, that we all really know what, what they are, it doesn't need to be particularly complicated, yeah. then that's, that really puts you in a good position to, oh, be, to be fertile. Yeah. 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 And I think what you mentioned about the sunshine and the um, reason for that is getting some sunshine every day is that every cell in our body relies on thyroid hormones and vitamin D to be able to function. So it is super important that um, to know that we do get vitamin D from the sun. It's once it hits our skin, it's converted to vitamin D and vitamin D is actually a hormone. And yeah, every cell in the body requires our thyroid hormones and vitamin D to function properly. So a little yeah. bit of sunshine a day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I actually had my bloods done recently. I've been up here for 12 months now, but it, it would probably have been about 10 and a half months when I had my bloods done. And my vitamin D was super low after living in right. Melbourne for 15 years wow. and then being here for one year and out in the sun every day super low so if any of you guys are in Melbourne or anywhere you know where there's not a lot of sun I I mean I had all my patients on vitamin d supplements in Melbourne pretty much yeah um and I'm assuming it's not as common in these more northern climates but it's it's not it's not a quick fix as you Mm. can see like I've been here for a year and still my levels are really low so yeah, interesting. And from a fertility perspective, I've had patients who have low vitamin D and when we've gotten their vitamin D back up, they've fallen pregnant. Like sometimes mm-hmm. it's literally that simple. Because like yeah. you said, it's every single cell and yeah. it's a big it's a big one for fertility. Like even fertility specialists will will flag a low vi- vitamin D and get you mm. to supplement. So yeah, yeah super important. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think, um, yes, yeah, so we've covered fertility well. Well, you've covered fertility really well. Thank you. Um, I would love to talk about the contraceptive pill. Ah, yes. So, yeah, so a lot of, um, yeah, I would love yep. to just explaining how it works and the effects that it has on the female body because a lot of my clients have, you know, been on the contraceptive pill and then they come off it hoping to get pregnant and it doesn't happen straight away. And then some people can be really lucky and they can come off the contraceptive pill and get pregnant straight away. But I'd just like um, to uh, make women aware of what the contraceptive pill is actually doing and the effects it can have on the body and fertility only because I think there's a a uh, misconception that by going on the pill with these hormones, which are actually synthetic hormones, that somehow it's balancing your hormones, but it's never going to do that because it's actually not hormones, it's synthetic. So it's not going to ever um, treat the root cause of any hormonal imbalance. It's just going to stop the signaling and the production of some of your natural hormones. So I would love for you to talk further on that and how, how it sort of links to fertility or infertility. Yeah, so it's it still amazes me that doctors will still tell women to go on the pill to balance their hormones. Yeah. I think when you've spent a bit of time working in this field, you just assume that everybody knows that it doesn't balance your hormones, but that's that's still, you know, far and away a, a very common thing that people get told. So you're, when you go on, and I mean, there's many different types of of pill but generally speaking as you said there's synthetic estrogen and synthetic progestins in there and their job is to stop you from ovulating and so they basically shut down the communication between your brain and your ovaries so that that whole cycle that we talked about before doesn't happen so when you go on the pill and you have a beautiful 28 day cycle you're not having a 28 day cycle you're just you're taking a pill that allows you to bleed every 28 days so it's not the same as a period it's it's Mm. it's not the same as a period um so there's a lot of research more recently around the pill i don't think much was done at the time that it was released but since then you know we've got this big cohort of women who've been taking it for a long time so there's some fairly good studies Um, nutrient deficiencies are probably the first thing that came Mm. to light about the pill so it depletes specific nutrients including folic acid which is always the one that makes me laugh because we always talk so much about how important folic acid is for pregnancy the pill will specifically deplete sorry not delete deplete your levels of folic acid along with other b vitamins like b2 and b6 b6 is another one that's been implicated in miscarriage um, and b12 as well i think and then vitamin c which is a really important antioxidant in the body Vitamin E, which is in naturopathic circles referred to as the fertility nutrient. So that's another really interesting one. Um, And then nutrients like uh, zinc and selenium and magnesium. So all of the really important nutrients for thyroid hormone production, for neurotransmitter production, for basically general body health. (laughs) Um, All those B vitamins are really important for energy production. So it can have a really systemic effect on your health and be quite depleting of really important nutrients so like zinc and magnesium and b6 tend to be used for uh, serotonin production and melatonin production so it can disrupt 
those nice happy hormones and the hormones that help you sleep well and have a nice deep sleep at night. And interestingly enough, most of those nutrients that I've just listed are really significant fertility nutrients. So it's, look, there are always going to be times when the pill is the right solution for, for a woman, especially women with endometriosis and those kinds of really painful conditions. But I think it's really important going in to know what those potentials are because there's also a lot of mood, mood disorders that are linked with being on the pill. And the, the hypothesis is that it's most likely linked to those nutrient depletions because those nutrients are so specific to neurotransmitter production. Yeah. It's highly likely that it's the depletion of those nutrients that's causing those neurological, or not so much neurological, but those neurotransmitter brain mm. chemistry um, alterations that increase anxiety and increase um, risk for depression. And also just not having our beautiful natural progesterone. Yeah, absolutely. That is that awesome anti-anxiety, sleep-promoting, good, good mood-producing kind yeah. of, of hormone. So we miss out on that. And then it means that we don't have that kind of cyclical nature as well, which even though we're not really aware of it, it changes the way that we function. And sometimes that can be just disrupting from an energetic perspective, I think, to kind of go from being a cyclical being to... Yeah. kind of being that flat sort of you don't have those shifts in energy that you your body is used to having so I guess most importantly when you are going off the pill you need to be conscious of repletion that needs to happen afterwards and that when you go off the pill it's very unlikely that diet will be sufficient to restore those nutrient levels mm -hmm. so that's when you want to be looking at a really good quality uh, probably a couple of different <laughs> supplements to cover yeah. all of those nutrients. Yeah. Um, but being aware of, of that need, especially if you come off the pill with the intention of falling pregnant mm. and making sure that those nutrient levels are, are replaced before you start thinking about trying to have a baby. Um, so we know it takes three months for that egg to be to mature before it gets released. So that three month period prior to when you first start trying, it's really important to look at repleting those nutrient levels and getting yourself up to a decent level of, you know, that foundation of health because you're yeah. going to grow a whole new person. That's a it's a big job. <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah, and from like the Ayurvedic perspective as well, a lot of um, sort of younger women on the pill often will miss you know they call the sugar pills that that's when you yep. start to bleed um so they often miss them so they don't get a period at all so yep. especially if they've got functions and things like that coming up and from an Ayurvedic perspective the whole process of menses is a whole cleansing process for your uterus yep. and so you're doing a deep cleanse every time that you you bleed actually and there's like uh with um antibacterial properties in the menses and everything that cleans out yeah. and flushes the whole system so when you're not doing that often and you're skipping having like periods then you are sort of I guess not creating the most healthiest sort of uterus by not um, cleansing yeah. it and doing its natural process yeah and there's some like there's still debate about it, I suppose, but there's a yeah. lot of theorizing that it increases the risk of endometrial hyperplasia, which is when the yeah. endometrium grows too much, which then is a risk factor for developing um, tumors, Absolutely. which can be cancerous or not, but 
um, yeah. and things like fibroids and that sort of stuff. So yeah. it's um, there's definitely a lot involved. Sense. And I just think that doctors don't go through the risks mm. enough in that initial consult with, yeah. with patients so that they understand it. And, I mean, the other thing that we know that it does is it messes with your microbiome. So it's actually affecting yeah. your it digestive does. system as well. And, um, you know, increased risk of inflammatory bowel disease, like conditions like Crohn's disease and um, mm. what's the other one? Ulcerative colitis. Yeah. Um, and even just IBS, mm. there's an increased incidence of those conditions in women who are on the pill. Mm. So, and and I, I don't think that's talked about. <laughs> no, but I think also, um, like you did say, you know, when it first come out and um, doctors were prescribing it, there wasn't, a lot of long-term research because it's a yeah. sort of new medication so yeah. like everything they're also um having to to learn a lot more of the, That's the right. sort of long-term implications of it so i think they might be becoming a lot more aware of it now as well just for the fact that there's actually more studies that they can go yeah. off and they they really do like to have that sort of scientific evidence in the study yeah, for sure to go off so i think um yeah it's an interesting space to be in i'm like sort of watch this space just to see yeah. Um, how uh, that progresses, uh, the information around the pill and how it's sort of prescribed and things like that. Because, yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot more research going into it now and, and more awareness, that's for sure. That's right. And I think in all honesty, because it was deemed to be such an effective contraceptive, which is obviously yeah. what it was designed to be, yeah. um, you know, research in that area kind of stalled a bit. Like there wasn't there wasn't any need for development of other contraceptive products yeah. because the pill was deemed to be so effective and so the side effects deemed to be uh, you know, manageable. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. it's been a long time. You know, it's been a lot of decades since the pill was released, and we really haven't made a great deal of progress in terms of other options. Mm. But yes, I think it's because that that it's shown itself to be effective yeah. as a contraceptive, mm. but at the same time, it kind of has removed women from being in tune with their bodies because it removes that that need for it yeah Yeah. absolutely and so on that let's talk about um contraception from um a sort of a natural health point of view so there's only I think we were all so scared shitless of falling pregnant you know when you (laughs) first be get told that it's you know you got to get on the pill or you've got to use um condoms or whatever or you fall pregnant just like that yeah (laughs) so I think there was that fear put into everyone that they were just going to have a million babies left right and center if we don't sort of do something about it but in actual fact there's only a small window of our cycle of every month where you generally can fall pregnant I mean obviously norms fall outside of that little window but generally speaking it's only very short so can you um explain to us about natural contraception and um yeah how we can manage our cycle so yeah so it's basically it's about understanding your cycle as we've mentioned before so one of the things i get my patients to do is to track their cycle on a paper chart like old school (laughs) so what we do is we that the the accepted method that is used for contraception that's shown to be effective if it's used properly by a trained 
person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's called the symptothermal method. So it basically looks at your temperature, your body temperature, and it looks at physical signs of ovulation. Mm-hmm. So you're trained to record all of this information in a specific way and then use that information to interpret when your most likely ovulation day is. So what we do is we take our temperature when we wake up in the morning, basal body temperature. So it's literally when you first open your eyes in the morning, you take your temperature. Um, Ideally at the same time every morning, but if it's not at the same time, we can adjust based on that. And the idea there is that progesterone increases your body temperature. So once ovulation has happened, your temperature will go up. So that won't tell you that you're about to ovulate. Yeah, it will only true. tell you that you have ovulated. Yeah. So that's the first that's the first step is to, to look at that and get an idea of whereabouts in your cycle your ovulation is happening. Mm-hmm. So that makes it accessible regardless of how long your cycle is because you'll still be able to see that temperature rise. Even if you have a 50-day cycle and you ovulate on day 36 or whatever, you'll still see that ovulation spike. And then we look at physical signs that happen with ovulation. So that cervical mucus that we talked about before, that is stimulated by estrogen in the first half of the cycle and peaks the day before ovulation happens. So it's literally that like, this is, this is, the, this is the day. It's like, this is the day that you're most super fertile and that your body is most conducive to helping those little spermies swim all the way up to the fallopian tubes and fertilize an egg. So we learn to track that as well. Now, every woman's cervical mucus pattern will be different. So this is where it's important to be trained in this method if you can or do lots of reading and make sure you understand it. But basically, you'll have your period at the start of your cycle. And then depending on the length of your cycle, you usually have a couple of days where there's no cervical mucus at all. And then you'll notice a change. So it generally starts out being kind of sticky, tacky, and, and quite white sometimes yeah. and then it progresses it transitions from that through to more wet watery slippery mucus mm. and the day yeah, yeah and the day of the most production of that so the day where there's the most quantity of it is the day that we call your peak day mm. which is the day, generally about 24 hours prior to the ovulation event and it's so the we, clear, stretchy sort of mucus. Yeah, so it's like they call mucus. it egg white. So yeah. it, sh- it should be stretchy. It doesn't have to be stretchy, but no. generally it will be stretchy. Yeah. It will be slippery. It will feel slippery. You'll be able to feel it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and it will be different to what it was maybe five days earlier. Yeah, and, and that's then, not as fertile, that mucus, the tacky sort of. That's right. White, yeah. not, it's not sperm traveling mucus correct (laughs) yeah so the sperm will tend to clump and get stuck in that mucus whereas the nice watery clear stuff they'll be able to swim through and it literally does when you see microscopic pictures of it it kind of makes highways it makes these little lanes that the sperm can swim up so it sends them in the right direction Um, and then after ovulation again depends on you and your body some women will just be completely dry after ovulation until their period some women will go back to that kind of tacky sticky mucus Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah so it's basically about learning to track those signs and then you can add in your cervix position as well some women are not up for that but generally your cervix will be your cervix will will rise up and become soft and open around ovulation so you can check that as well to, to confirm yeah. but I find not many women 
want want to do that yeah you gotta be pretty committed (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. and usually you'll find that if you do so we usually do three cycles of tracking that tracking your temperature and your mucus and then any other symptoms that you have and also you know what your bleed is like and the the color of your blood and all that sort of stuff gives us information too and then we can see what your cycles look like and then we start to hone in on okay so these days when your mucus and there's rules that you use so we would look at the mucus and then we would go back three days before your first sign of fertile mucus and go forward a couple of days after ovulation so you basically create this window that is unique for each woman yeah during which you are either most likely fertile or definitely fertile Mm-hmm. And then you have the days on either side of that where you know that you're not fertile. Yeah. So it takes it takes time. I've heard people liken it to learning how to drive a car. Like at the yeah. start, it seems really overwhelming and there's so many moving parts. Mm-hmm. But once you know it, you don't even have to think about it. So, yeah. yeah. So basically we would work, we would do three cycles of tracking and mm-hmm. learn your pattern mm-hmm. and then basically I teach people the rules around how to work out Mm. where your fertile window is and how to avoid it so for those first three months you're either abstaining or using condoms yeah so that you there's no risk of falling pregnant and also because semen can mess with your observations of your cervical mucus as well so we want to try and keep that out of the equation as much as possible at least in that fertile time and then it becomes quite you, it just becomes part of your awareness of your body. Yeah, yeah. I think it's such an important tool to learn for every woman just so that yeah. they can actually tap into their own body and what's going on and they exactly. can understand their hormonal cycle and what yeah. may be, because it, it shows so much more than just when you're fertile or when you're not. Exactly. It shows your whole functioning, your whole hormonal yep. sort of balance or imbalance or what's going on in your body. That's right. The moods, the gut health, everything we spoke about. It's just such an important yep. sort of report card of what's going on yeah. for you that month. And so, so yeah, it, you start to notice what yeah. what the changes are, not just mm. in your reproductive system, but yeah, how your digestion yeah. changes, how your mood changes, how your sleep changes, your body temperature. You know, we get we tend to get cold just coming up to the days before our periods yeah. come. Yeah. And it's obviously super important for picking up things like, you know, bacterial vaginosis and things like that, where there's a, there's an unusual discharge because Mm. you know what your normal discharge is. And so, yeah, I just think it's like so empowering for women as well to know, know themselves on like that much more deeper level, just to know what's going on. Yeah. Be in charge of their, their body. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously if you do get to a point where you want to get pregnant, you've got this whole swag of information at your fingertips because even the temperature tells us things as well about thyroid function so if your temperature is too low we know your thyroid's probably struggling it gives us so much information and how long those two halves of the cycle are like you were saying before if you're if the first half is too long or the second half is too short that can have implications so yeah very very handy tool it's a very handy tool and once you've done it for a few months like I have a lot of women who don't even take their temperature anymore they just use their observations to to track yeah 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 beautiful yeah Yeah. thank you very cool it is very (laughs) welcome (laughs) well you've um yeah you've shared so much amazing information I really love this conversation and I hope that people listen to this even if they um aren't planning on having a baby and want to be fertile because I think we've discussed really in-depth like 
the whole sort of cycle and and why it's so important for us just to, to know the cycle and the, the rhythm of our hormones yeah. so I think it's yeah important for all women and even um, younger women who are not in no way planning on having babies anytime soon just to yep. understand how their body works so if you do know anybody to our listeners um, you have a daughter or a sister or anybody auntie who may benefit from this episode please share and um yeah tag us on instagram so we know that you love it and if you've learned anything we'd love that as well but thank you so much lisa could you please let all of our listeners know where they can get in contact with you yes good idea so my website is just lisayoung.com so that's l-e-e-s-a young.com um, so I have lots of information on there about hormones and fertility and any questions you have, you can fire off to me there. And then on Instagram, I am wellness simplified with two underscores between the wellness and the simplified. Um, and on Facebook, uh, Lisa Young Wellness Simplified, you'll find me there. Yeah, amazing. I will put Thank those you. links in the show note anyway. That's awesome. Thanks. No worries. So I really did, yeah, appreciate having you on. It was just a, a wonderful conversation. Um, so I, when I press exit on this, um, because we're live streaming through our Facebook group, it's yes. just going to cut us off from Zoom. So I'll have to say goodbye now. Yes, on okay. <laughs> just to let you know, I've let some guests, I'm awesome. like, gone and then it's just gone. <laughs> Yeah, this will um this will end our, our yeah. chat as well, even when I press even yeah. post recording. So yes, thank you so much. I really appreciated your time. My and pleasure. Thank you to all of our listeners. Yeah, thanks everyone. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you all. Yay. <laughs> Namaste. Thanks, Harmony. Bye. Bye. Before we hop into this awesome episode, I want to remind you that this episode is sponsored by my six-month accredited program, Ayurveda Alchemist, which will certify you as an Ayurveda lifestyle and wellness coach. Ayurveda Alchemist is for those women who are ready to get started with a career in Ayurveda, to have more income, more fulfillment, and more time to do the things that light you up. This six-month program consists of 10 live lectures, fortnightly additional live Q&A support to keep you going, daily support inside the VIP Facebook community, two guest experts to help enhance your learning and help position your new business for success. All of this and more will be available through the online portal that can be downloaded as an app so that you can take your course with you in your pocket wherever you go. As a rose gold VIP, you will also get a 30-minute coaching call with myself. Spots are limited and we start on the 26th of August. To grab your spot today, head to harmonyinspiredhealth.com.au. I can't wait to welcome you to Ayurveda Alchemist. Now let's get into today's episode. Hi, beautiful people. I wanted to share a really personal story about myself and my background of how my embarrassment and lack of confidence helped me to really heal my own body but also help others live their most inspiring and healthy life. 
So as most of you are aware, I'm a registered nurse and have been for the last 15 years. So I've been helping people heal and I have been teaching them and educating themselves about their body and their health. I'm also a personal trainer, a Pilates instructor and yoga teacher. So I spend a lot of my time on stage with a lot of eyes on me. And although I have, have always eaten really well, I've always been into health and wellness, I've exercised my whole life, I suffered in silence with IBS, so that's irritable bowel syndrome and leaky gut for many years. And some of the symptoms were belly bloating, was gas, was burping, was pain through my belly, cramping, and really uncomfortable, uncomfortable symptoms. It also um, led to a lot of fluid retention and weight gain. So I felt really uncomfortable getting up in front of everyone as a quote unquote health professional and fitness instructor. At this time, my confidence fell to an all-time low. I tried diet after diet. I was on the search for that magic bullet that would finally work. I was eating less, counting calories, exercising more and harder. You name it, I tried it. But all the while, I was suffering on these diets. I was hungry, I was deprived, and I was moody. My hormones were, were wreaking havoc on me and my belly was not improving even on all of the diets because I know now I was eating the wrong things. I even tried a juice diet. Seriously, what the F I know, it is the worst diet for a Vata imbalanced person, which I was. But at that stage, I didn't understand this. So maybe you can relate and know how defeating this is. When your belly is constantly bloated, you look 20 weeks pregnant, you suffer with cramping, leaky gut, IBS, and despite the numerous visits to the doctor, gastroenterologist, and dietitian, nothing or none of the symptoms seemed to subside until I took a step back and took charge of my life my emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. At my lowest point, I felt like a fraud, embarrassed, frustrated, and hated wearing my activewear, which I lived in. I hated getting on stage in front of others who were looking to me for guidance. So I decided that there had to be a better way. I made it my life's work to study the real science about life, Ayurveda, my body, food and nutrition and learn why I was struggling for so many years. And I learned how to heal my metabolism so I could not only lose the weight that I had put on, but also keep it off for good and to really minimize the IBS symptoms I was suffering. I finally felt freedom with food and my body and learned how to eat and take care of myself that felt nurturing rather than punishment, which led me to some pretty incredible results. 
So my passion now is to help others live a more balanced and inspired life using a method I know works and dates back more than 5,000 years ago. And that method is Ayurveda and integrated health. It is the science of life. I created the Ayurvedic Mind-Body Cleanse Protocol, which is a 12-week cleanse to detoxify your mind and your body. Because Ayurveda understands that the mind and the body are intricately connected. Ayurveda shares ancient wisdom that has been proven to achieve a healthy, balanced mind, body, and life. In my Mind-Body Reset Cleanse program, you will have you it's specifically designed for you at your initial consultation incorporating the protocol the cleanse will consist of preparing the body releasing and eliminating impurities and toxins and rejuvenating the tissues in ayurveda we say the datus you will be supported throughout the process with one-on-one consultations with myself and Ayurvedic treatments such as lymphatic drainage massages. You will not only gain so much knowledge and insight about yourself, about your body, your mind and Ayurveda, but you will go on to live your most healthiest and inspired life. This cleanse will give you the tools that you will be able to use right throughout your whole life. So if this sounds something that you are interested in, if you suffer with leaky gut, IBS, bloating, weight gain, fluid retention, imbalanced hormones, skin that breaks out, mood changes, rapid mood changes, then please let me help you. Come and see me in my Ayurvedic and Integrative Health Clinic. You can book an initial consultation online with me Or if you wish, we can even tee up a free discovery call to see if this program is right for you. Namaste.